to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Amen. How many of you, how many of you has your faith risen this morning just by hearing that testimony? So powerful. And you know what? I just want to publicly say this, that it's because of the fruits of, I think, Pastor Daniel and Jason that sold into the life of the parents, that you see a transformation of uh, the parents. And so it's, it's amazing that we can even father our own parents and, and father them into the way they are today. So Uncle Chua and Auntie Chua, I am very blessed by your, by your sharing. You know, I, I just also felt like I want to raise the faith in this room tonight, uh, t- this morning, and I, was, I wanted to share it, uh, I wanted to share it like in the middle of my sermon, but I thought I should share it now, um, just because I feel like there's uh, faith uh, that we, God wants to elevate this morning. Um, about four months ago, uh, my mom went for an annual medical checkup, right? And she, she does that annually. Once she passed 60, she was like diligent in going for an annual checkup. And so she went for an annual checkup four months ago, sometime in May, and the results of the the annual checkup was for the pancreatic marker. It was way double than, uh, than it should be. So the normal marker is 0 to 37. Hers was 60, oh, past 60. Um, and she, of course, being in her late age and with my father passing away because of cancer, you get worried, right? It's one of those things you get worried. And she asked us to pray and we prayed as a family. And a few days later, she said, you know what, John, I, I, have, a few, I, I have peace over the matter, but we'll go for a second opinion. So about two weeks later, she came back from a second opinion. Um, and of course, they did a check again. And of course, the cancer markers or their marker came back. And the, zero to, the, the normal readings is 0 to 37. Hers was past 60. Her last reading, and she, last week she texted us and it was 9. And I, I choose to believe... I choose to believe that it's not a spike because of what she ate four months ago that caused the marker to go up. If not, the marker would have maybe gone up by a little bit, you know, or it would have reduced by a little bit. But the fact that it went from 60 over to a 9, I believe that it's a miracle that God did. And I really believe that God is in the business of creating miracles over our lives so that it can be a momentum, a story for a future generation, for people around us. And I just want to declare that. I just want to declare that, uh, Auntie, you'll be fully healed, whatever that is, that fully healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, I'm excited to share this morning. Uh, I have an unusual nervousness today. I, I t- typically don't get nervous when I, when I come up to the, the, the mic and to share, but today I have an unusual nervousness. And so uh, I really believe that we have a word that's in season, and I feel that we have a word that is uh, for all of us today. Uh, whether you're young or old, I, I, I just sense that God has a word for us this morning. Shall we pray before we begin? Amen. So Lord, we thank you. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, even in this place. We ask that you give us a revelation of who you are, your, ner- your, your nature and your character. Lord, we ask, let words that is spoken today come from you. Let it rest on good soil. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm excited. Um, the sermon title I have today is for a future uh, or for our future. And it's something that I've really been um, pondering about, uh, about knowing that I am expecting my first child so for, for you, for those who don't know, my first child is due in about four weeks, four to five weeks, uh, then about, and we are really excited about our baby. Uh, just yesterday, we had 
a few of the team from Burning Hearts come into our house and we had a bridal, sh- not bridal shower, a baby shower of sorts and we played games. Can I tell you, if you need anyone to plan games, please get Constance to plan your games. So this is what she made us do, okay? So she took six diapers um, and three diapers, she put chocolate on the diaper and three diapers, she put uh, baby food, melted chocolate. So it was melted chocolate. It looks like it looks terrible. And she, we had to try the chocolate to guess what chocolate and what brand uh, the chocolate is from as a game. Uh, and so that was what she made us do yesterday, but we had so much fun. And, but yeah, I know I'm really excited for what God is doing in, our, in this season and even just having the next generation come about. And I'm really excited about experiencing fatherhood. But even as I'm thinking about this season in life that God is taking me and one of the things that I think God is shifting in my mindset and my paradigm is from me being one that helps people propel themselves to destiny. It is now the idea of what legacy am I leaving behind for this generation and the generations to come, right? So one of the things that I've always been passionate about is making people uh, or, or helping people fulfill their God-given destiny, right? And so if you have ever spoken to me, I like matching people with their careers, with their love life, and I just like propelling them into the destiny or nudging them along. Uh, so those who have had conversations with me, you would know full well that I like matchmaking you with jobs. Um, but I, 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 and even to the point, like my previous youth ministry that I, I once led was called People of Destiny. It's something that I've always been passionate about, for people to fulfill their God-given destiny in their lives. And I think it's great. But this season, God has been teaching me the idea of what it means to leave behind a legacy. And what legacy am I leaving behind? Not just for the next generation, but even for the people that's around in this room. What legacy are we leaving behind? And I'm struck by how the kind of lives we live today can impact and live a legacy for this community and for the generations to come. Right? So it's not just about you and I fulfilling our own destiny, but us leaving behind a legacy for the generations to come. And this is a conversation, and that's why Legacy, yo. One person in Legacy. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, young people. And this is a conversation that's needed in our own lives. We, we live in a city that everyone is consumed about achieving their ambitions and fulfilling their destiny. Right? Singapore is a magnet and people all over the world come, is coming to this nation to fulfill a destiny. They're fulfilling an ambition. They're fulfilling uh, a goal that they want to hit in their lives. And this is a magnet for destiny seekers. And I am committed to helping people find destiny, but I really believe that God wants us to be committed to leave behind a legacy for the generations to come. Amen? Of course, it's easier to talk about destiny, right? Because it's about your future, right? Like it's, it's easy. We're, we're, we are consumed about what we want to achieve in our, in our lives and fulfilling the destiny that God has given us. And it's easy to talk about it. But it's harder to talk about a future that we are building together. It's something that's a bit unknown. It requires partnering with God to see that happen. It's not so much about your life, but it's about a future that we are building together. And I believe that you and I, we need to start thinking about humanity, not just tomorrow, but 50 years from now. What would Singapore look like? What would Singapore look like 100 years from now? What would Singapore look like 500 years from now? And understand that you and I have a part to play in building that legacy. Every small action that we do today, every step that we take today will impact something in the future. 
And even as Pastor Daniel was praying this morning for the nation, that City Church is a church that is destined, it's tied in, it's aligned to the future of this nation. And we have a part to play in building that future. Um, yesterday, the leaders met, and I was just telling Pastor Daniel, like, oh my gosh, you preached my entire sermon yesterday during leaders' meeting. And so some of the cell leaders gathered together yesterday and to just pray uh, for the church and for the nation. And one of the things that he was sharing about is the idea of having dreams, and that we need to have dreams for the nation, for this church and for the nation. And what are the dreams that we are building today? And what are the dreams we are having today? Are those God-given dreams that we are building for this nation? And I really believe that today, even as I'm sharing about the idea of leaving behind a legacy for our future, it's something that you and I can be part of. So some of you today might be sitting here, goodness, I'm 12 years old. What do you mean about the future? I am the future, you know what I mean? Some of you might be 18 years old, 25 years old. Like I've reached my, this is the prime of my life and you're thinking, that's all I need to do, right? To just uh, to live in the prime of my life. But let me tell you something, young ones, not so young ones, we have a part to play to build for this church, and for the nation. Amen? And it's really interesting because there is a story in the Bible that talks about a negative example of that. Right? How many of you know this, uh, this character called King Hezekiah? Right? I'm just going to pull out the scriptures and we're going to read King Hezekiah. Now, he is a, generally a good king or he started out as a great king. Right? The Bible talks about all the reforms that he did. He is the one that, you know restored God worship in the temple. He tore down all the idols. And this was a king that started really, really well. And towards the end of his life, the Bible says that because pride consumed him, Isaiah went up to say, okay, dude, you're going to die soon. Right? And God pleaded with God and God, no, King Hezekiah pleaded and God extended his life for 15 years. Right? So I'm going to read that scripture in 2 Kings chapter 20. Right? In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, put your house in order, because you are going to die, you will not recover. Right? And so this, the next few verses talk about how Hezekiah went before God. And verse 5, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father says, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And then he was healed. Right? And if a couple of, I don't know how many years later, how long later, there was a Babylonian envoy that went to Israel, right? So this is a story from verse 12. And at the time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, what a mouthful, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers, showed them all that was in the storehouse, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, fine oil the armory, showed him everything in the city. Uh, then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? And Hezekiah said, They saw everything. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then he- Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is what verse 19 says. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? So this was a king that was just concerned about his lifetime and what was happening in his generation, but he had no qualms about saying, you know what, if it happens to the next generation, it does not matter. Now if you read the scriptures uh, further on in this story, you'll realize that his son eventually took 
over his king at the age of 12 years old. The son, his name is called Manasseh. And King Manasseh was one of the most evil kings that Israel has ever produced. Most evil kings. Sacrificing his own son. One of the most evil kings. And this is what I suspect. I suspect that Manasseh understood what the father was saying, that he was a rejected generation. And he lived that way. I believe Hezekiah, out of his heart, he acted like he didn't care about his son. I mean, the fact that he said, it doesn't really matter whether my son is taken away and to be a eunuch in Babylon, it does not matter. I feel that Manasseh, in this story, and the Bible does not explicitly say it, but I believe that Manasseh understood this rejection from his father. The father did not leave anything for his son. And I believe that we have a part to play in building the next generation. See, the paradigm of a destiny is typically pegged to our achievements, but building a legacy is talking about what we are leaving behind for a future and for the generations to come. And we really need to consider what Singapore will look like 20 years, 50 years, 100 years from now. And we need to stop acting that history is disposable and start acting as if history will be with us for a while. And that history before it is written is called the future, and we need to start writing the future even right now. Right, there's a scripture in the Bible in Psalms chapter 102, verse uh, 18, and I want all of us to turn to it if you have your Bibles. If not, I believe it's on the screen. Psalms 102, verse 18. And it's a scripture that has been on my heart for the last few weeks, even as I was preparing for this sermon, but even as I was in my time of meditation, this is a scripture that I believe all of us need to write on our hearts in Psalms 102 verse 18. And I'll read a few chapters before that, a few verses before that, from verse 12. It says, But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants, her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. For he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. And this is verse 18. It says, Let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. Verse 19, the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. Verse 21, so the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. And verse 22, when the people and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. See, verse 18, it says, let it be written for a future generation about the greatness of God. I like how the word is phrased. Let it be written for a future generation. Those not yet created. We're talking about generation that is not sitting in our room today. We're not talking about a people group that is not in this room today. We're not even talking about a people group that is existing today. But the Bible refers to a generation that has not yet been created for a future. And the, the question is, what are we writing today that will impact the future to come? And we have a part to play in that writing. It's not just the responsibility of a few people. It's not the responsibility of the politicians, nor is it the responsibility of just the reverence in church. But it's a responsibility that all of us as a nation, as a community needs to take about what we write today that will impact the generations to come, even for those that are not yet created. I like the sense of the word created. It's not so much of the fact that it's a human effort that we do right? Creation. But it's something that we believe the Creator has intended for a future to happen. But He invites us to write it now. Let it be written. 
let it be written for a future generation not yet created will praise the Lord. See, oftentimes we get so focused on our own lives and our own benefits and even our own futures that we forget that we are entrusted to partner with God to create the future where generations to come can have a life-changing encounter with the creator of the universe and come to know a God that loves them. We have a part to play for what is to come in the future. And it's one thing to experience God for yourself, to come here even to this place and have a life in changing. We could come to church Sunday after Sunday and have a life encounter with God. We can have a life-changing encounter. But at the end of the day, we need to write something in the annals of history that will impact the future. Let this be written. What are we writing today that will be written in the hearts of people in the generations to come? We've heard from Axel last week. He just disappeared. He was in that seat. (laughs) Raptured. Oh my gosh. All of us are not. So, But we've heard from Axel last week. (laughs) Yeah, we're here to create the future. Amen. But we heard from Axel last week that all of us have a story, that God is in the, in the, in the business of writing our own story. Right? And I really believe that our story is a momentum for other stories to be propelled. Right? My, the story of my mom's testimony, of her being healed, is going to add courage to your story. Right? The story of Auntie Chua, who now has taste in her, in her lips, in her tongue is going to propel your story because her story is going to add your faith, elevate your faith. And all of us have a story to share. Axel's story of his parents coming to know Christ is going to propel some of our faith. Right? Mel's story two weeks ago when she shared about not lifting up worship to nobody else except God is going to ignite some of our faith. Right? So all of us have a story to share and our stories can propel and create a momentum for the future. And we are part of the story that will be told for a thousand years. See, this is my dream, that a thousand years from now, no one's going to know who Jonathan Carl C. Wong is, but someone would, would have heard a story of mine that would suddenly elevate their faith. Somebody might know, not know who Daniel Chua is. Who's this guy that created movements after movements? Who's this dude that started a youth alliance network that saw the unity of local churches five years ago? But in hundred years, they'd be like, there's, there's a point in history that the unity of church was so real. Who's this Daniel Chua dude? Who's this guy? But my, my longing is that a hundred years or five hundred years, some of us today in this room will create history that will happen a few hundred years later. And it can happen. It really can happen. I mean, where is the John Wesleys of this nation? Where are these men of faith from old that will be birthed from this community that will impact this nation? Amen? See, I believe that the church can be the epicenter of a revival. Can I, can I share something? Like, I believe that if us being here and being called the city... Eight years ago, by the way, how many of you know we just celebrated our eighth anniversary? I texted Andre, I was like, oh, by the way, when was the city church, you know, uh, when did it start? It was on August 31st. So about three weeks ago, uh, we celebrated our eighth anniversary. Just went by. We're eight years old. Prophetically, it was called the city church. Prophetically, it was 
the, the vision of this church was to transform this city, this nation. Uh, of course, eight years ago, we were at 50 McPherson in some Ulu part of Singapore. Then we went to an even more, it couldn't be any more Ulu, we went to an even more, more Ulu place in uh, Aramugan. 14 Aramugan, level 6, 5, 6, one of those, 7. can't remember, Aramugan, what floor were you at? 4, 7, right? Yeah. See, all of you don't remember. It's just a distant memory. <laughs> I mean, prophetically, we call ourselves the city, but we're in the middle of like warehouses with a temple next to us that was massive. <laughs> a few years later, fast forward, we find ourselves in the heart of the city, called the City Church. I remember this pitch that um, some of the leaders had when we were proposing the new space. We are in the the intersection between the church, the market street, church street, market street, and cross street. Do you remember that pitch or not? It was a very compelling pitch. That the city is in the middle of the marketplace. Jesus is the center. But prophetically, we call ourselves the city church, but I really truly believe that the city can make an impact in this city, in this street that we are at, at Cecil Street. What are we doing today that will impact this nation, this street that we are on? See, I believe that the banks had more vision than the church when they decided, you know what, let's make CBD the, the, the hub and the epicenter of the financial district of this nation. And banks after banks after banks lined up and they had more vision for this street than the church ever had. But I believe that we can change what this city looks like. We can change what this street looks like. I really believe that if we, and, and we are intentional about building that future and having a vision for this nation, for the city, for the street that we're on, we can bring about a revival in this nation. And it's what we do today, what, is, what are we writing for the future? See, this is what I imagine. I imagine 100 years from now, that someone is going to ask my great-grandchildren, like, was it a time in history that Raffles Place was just banks? I mean, now it's just revival happening, that people, the moment they walk into the Raffles Place district, healing takes place. Can it actually happen? I mean, it happened in Wales. I'm sure it can happen in the street. I mean, it's the same God, right? What is the vision that we have for our community, our city, our nation. And I know it's a hard conversation. You're 14 years old, 16 years old, you're 15. I remember some of the comments from the youth when they heard Mel speak, oh, marriage seems so far away. You know, I don't understand the analogy of marriage and having a wife or a husband. And then now we're talking about the next generation. I am the next generation. What are you talking about? But young people, I want to speak to you and I want you to know that you, whatever you do today, whether you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 15, 18, whatever, it doesn't matter, but whatever you do today can impact your community and your generation. It can be you just coming to a church, to school at 7 in the morning and just praying for your school, but you don't know what you can impact. It could be just you sharing the gospel to your classmate who's sitting next to you and you don't know what can happen with that life could be preaching the gospel to the future Prime Minister of Singapore. We don't know. But I'm saying, no matter how old or young, this message is for you. So young people, I don't want you to sit in and think, okay, la, future generation. They're talking about what these old guys need to do for me. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm talking about 50 years from now, 100 years from now. 
What policies are we doing today that will impact the next generation? It, talking about being annoyed, it also annoys me that prostitution in one point of time in our history is made legal in this nation. So policymakers, I don't know how many years ago, said, you know what, let's just make prostitution legal. It annoys me somewhat that abortion is made legal in this nation to such liberating degrees. I mean, I agree if we... Okay, better not say any controversial. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, I got scholar here. So scholar, please do, do, do work. Huh? So what are we doing today that's going to be the story for the generations to come? What is the story about you? What is your story? And what will be the stories that will be told about you? And we are the stories that the future will be born into. Turn our Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. By the way, this is my introduction, by the way. (gasps) Amen. God is good. (laughs) Those who say that are in a different generation. They left a legacy. Don Moen has left a legacy. <laughs> Uncle Don. God is good all the time. Joshua chapter 4. Are you guys there? Yeah. It's pretty long scriptures, but I'm going to read it now. Just to give you a context of Joshua chapter 4. The Bible is talking about the Israelites. They just were wandering the desert for 40 years and they were going to enter into Jericho and they were going into the conquest of all the conquests that we were going to start. And here they were at the start of River Jordan. They've crossed the Red Sea 40 years ago. 40 years later, here they were at River Jordan and they were going to cross it. And this is the story in Joshua chapter 4. Right? They finished crossing the river and 4 verse 1 it says, when the whole nation, how many think that's so great that the Bible talks about them as a nation when they were essentially just nomads and you know, random people. There's a prophecy of them, the whole nation. God saw them as a nation. Right? When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are meant to be memorial. Say, everyone say memorial. memorial. To the people of Israel forever. So here it is. The people of Israel and they have been through it. They were walking in the wilderness for 40 years. They were done. They were ready to go into the promised land. They were ready to go and fight. They heard the good reports from Joshua and Caleb. They were like, we are going to go in. We're going to take this land. This is a generation who were in transition. Their parents and ancestors just before them were slaves in Egypt. Many of them would remember the slavery in Egypt. And they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And Moses was their leader. They knew that they couldn't go back, but they also knew that if whether they could go forward. They were wondering, and they were now in the bank of Jordan. They have been here before. At the beginning of the journey, they were the bank of the Red Sea. At that point of time, they were pursued by the Egyptians. And they were, this was a pivotal time in the history where we might not even have heard of the Israelites. 
where the Egyptians could have potentially just killed all of them. But here they were now in the Jordan River. I love the fact that God also raises up the ante when it comes to elevating our faith. Right? 40 years ago, what happened? Moses just lifted up his staff and the red sea parted. 40 years later, the instructions to them was, the moment your soul touches the feet of the Jordan River, then I will split up the waters. There's an elevation of faith that is required. And I really believe that God wants to elevate our faith even for the next generation. And this moment, they're walking through the Jordan. The Bible says that the water is pressed on the left and the right and they're going through. There's a very little unique passage a little bit on. They repeated this story twice where the Bible says that they hurried across. Of course, they're hurrying across the Jordan River. Right On the left and on the right, the waters were pushed back. And God gives them the instructions. Now, I, I love the little detail. The Bible says after the entire nation crossed the Jordan River, after, right? And I don't know which section of the Jordan River they crossed, but I don't think it's a very near distance, right? They crossed the Jordan River. And then the Bible says that God told, told, told them, give 12 leaders to go back to the middle of the Jordan River to take 12 stones, memorial stones, put it on your shoulder and walk back to where you are. See, so just imagine this, right? They were trolled by God. <laughs> God could have literally told them to take up the stones halfway. But you know what? Finish the entire journey first. Walked all the way there. I don't know how, the, how long that distance is. And then instead of getting a group of people, you know how in youth ministry you say, hey, the group of you help me carry those chairs, right? Just send one person each from the 12 tribes to carry one stone each. I'm like thinking, goodness, why can't I get like 10 people to help me carry this stone? And it's, it's not like a pebble that they were asked to carry. They were asked to carry a memorial stone. Over their shoulders, I suspect those stones were big, big enough for you to put over your shoulders and that wingspan and to carry it back. And it went back all the way into the middle to take these stones, put on the shoulder. Actually, I wanted to how to carry this for the duration of my sermon to see how long he can carry this on my shoulder. But it's okay. Carry these stones and walk back all for the sake of a memorial for a future generation that will ask you, what do these stones mean? Now think about it. If I was there in that scene as a child, maybe I was five years old and I see my appa carry that stone over his back so they carry these stones so that a future generation will ask. A future generation would mean that a generation that was not seeing that scene at that point of time. The kids would have seen it. As a kid, I would have known, wow, well, my Abba carried that stone because God says that He wants to create a memorial for the generations to come. But He's talking about a generation not yet created that will ask my father's my father, what did your grandfather say? What are these stones for? Why are the stones here? See, God played so much emphasis on creating a memorial stone of His goodness for a future generation so that their testimony will create a momentum for the future generations. He played so... God, seriously, do you want me to carry this stone all the way there when I could have picked it up halfway? You wanted me to do it all by myself? And there were leaders that were selected and I really believe in our midst that all of us are leaders that are meant to carry this stone so that there will be a memorial set in place for a generation not yet created that will praise the Lord forever. It takes effort. 
It takes time. It takes dedication. It takes us to grit our teeth. And you know what? The challenges that I'm going through in life today will be a memorial stone for a future generation. I'm thinking about my mom and you know the, the fear that she has knowing that she could potentially have, have cancer. And I strongly believe that her testimony will be a testimony for a generation that's yet to come that God is a healer. It's really interesting. Uh, my mom's best friends are all very funny. And she has this little community of friends that they're all widows. And so she, she started ministering to them because she was, I mean, she is a widow. And so when she overcame that, that time of her life, she found other widows that somehow were connected to her and she ministered to them. And now they are all BFFs. They hang out every Saturday. It's quite strange. But... <laughs> Five women. Right? Anyway, it's, it's, I find it impactful because now her testimony of what she went through and the hurts that she was going through at that one point of time and knowing that she's been fully restored and fully healed now becomes a testimony and a story for other people to receive that healing and to receive that restoration. And it's a challenge at a point of time when your husband passes away at a time when you're going through um, being upset and being like questioning God about why my husband has, been, has to be taken away. It's challenging at that point of time. And when we're going through a crisis, nobody thinks about building a milestone. When we're going through a challenge in our life, nobody thinks about, oh my gosh, this story is going to be great and powerful. It's going to be a great testimony for the generations to come. Nobody thinks about these things. In the middle of our crisis, we don't think about the testimony that we go through. But I believe that God gives us these challenges and we sometimes we go through these challenges and circumstances in our life so that when we overcome these challenges through the miracle of God, that there will be a story and a testimony to share that will propel a future generation. It's not just a future generation, but it will propel those who are seated in this room. And if today you need healing, I believe that God can heal. Why? I've seen it firsthand that God can heal. If today you're going through depression in your life and you need restoration, I can tell you honestly, I've seen it happen in my own eyes that God can heal depression and I believe in faith that you can be healed from depression because of a milestone that we set in our lives. Sometimes I wonder why God makes things so difficult. Why don't you just give us something easier? Just give us, do I really need to go back to take those stones? But there's no story in something that's easy. There's no, there's no story in the, yeah, I just made a million dollars yesterday. Easy. But there's a story when we're going through bankruptcy, but God in His provision provides. There's a story in that. If God makes our journey easy, He will not give us something worth passing on to the generations to come. He will give us something worth passing on to the generations to come that will insert courage into their hearts. In this moment, God says to them, you are going to do this because one day, this will serve as a signpost among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? That you will tell them. These stones are for a purpose. I believe one day in the future, there will be a future generations to come, 50 years, 100 years in Singapore. And children will talk to their parents about Singapore. Talk to us about that moment when something shifted, when history shifted, when Singapore was not just known about her financial success, but Singapore is known to be an epicenter of revival that will break out out of Asia. That Singapore will step into the prophetic destiny of what this nation should be as an Antioch, 
But it starts with the story that we are writing now as an individual for this nation. I want us to take our vision even bigger than what we have. Some of us just want to complete our degree. Some of us just want to finish our secondary school education and be done with it. Some of us just want to lead a great and comfortable life. And I mean, it's all great. And this is what God has given us as a discipline in our daily life. But let me challenge you that there is a bigger picture that God wants us to be aligned to because He has a dream and a vision for this nation that He's calling us to partner together with Him. And the little things that we are doing today will impact and impart into the next generation. You see, these individuals that decided to walk back as leaders to grab these stones, the risk was... Can I tell you it's risky? Risky, like, God, I really need to trust. Remember the little point that I said they were hurrying across the River Jordan? They hurried across the River Jordan. They crossed it, they came back and they Stones, there's no way they're hurrying with stones on their back. This is a posture of complete trust that God, no matter what circumstances I'm going through, I've got to trust in you with these stones on my back because they're going to be a milestone for a future generation. See, these stones are not meant for you. It's meant for a sign for those who have not seen that miracle. You've really gone through the miracle. You've, you've witnessed it first and you went through the entire, you saw it, you saw the goodness of God, you saw the miracles of God, but it's for a generation that's not yet seen. It's for a people that has not seen, who has not believed. How many people do we have around in our communities that yet know about the power of God? Invite them to Alpha this Thursday. Sign up still happen? Sorry. Good slide. You see, we make this decision and this sacrifice and this risk not for ourselves, but those who are not yet believed. And I love God that He uses these signs for those who are struggling to believe. At the end of this story in Joshua chapter 4, the Bible says the moment that they crossed the Jordan River, you think, that's it man, God, we have done it, we have crossed the river, we have carried these 12 stones to set up the memorial, everyone's going to believe the goodness of God. But the Bible says that a few of the tribes got ready to go into battle to fight Jericho. See, at the end of the day, the things that we go through in our life will provide a fighting point for us. The challenges that we're going through will provide a fighting point for our generations yet to come. And we need to take this posture that we need to fight through our challenges. We need to fight through our circumstances so that it will be a memorial stone for a future generation. Amen? So what does it mean for us today? You and I. So I was like contemplating what I would end and how I'd land this sermon today. And I, I realized, and, and Pastor Daniel yesterday during the leaders meeting shared this six great points about dreams and how dreams are great and big and how the dreams should be greater than ourselves and how dreams should have an impact for generations to come. I was like, oh my gosh, I resonate everything with, with that. But today I, I, I realized that God wants me to bring it down to the everyday things that we do. Dreams are great. I love dreams. But I realized dreams are big. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not, I just want to be obedient to God, that what God has for me. In my daily, what am I doing in my daily that will impact the next generation? Yeah. And I've just got four very simple points. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul writes to the church of Corinth 
the context of this passage in 1 Corinthians 4 is the church was arguing, they're debating, and they were having inquest. I want to say incest, sorry. Inquest with one another. I'm very different. Oh, Jesus. And they were infighting and they were fighting among one another. They're debating about who is more superior. They were, they were just fighting among themselves. And Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And prior to this, to this uh, passage, he gives different analogies like, you know, as a builder, as a farmer, and he talks about all these different things. But it comes to a point in 1 Corinthians 4 that he says that I'm writing this to you, not to shame you, but he says I'm writing to you as a father. You may have many instructors, but you have few fathers. But I'm writing to you as a father. And even as I'm approaching the season in my life of being a physical father, I really understand what it means for us, whether we're young or old, to take up this paradigm and this posture to be a spiritual father. Because only as in that paradigm will we begin to impact the next generation and the future generation, or even the generation that's seated in this room, because we have this paradigm of what it means to be a father. And he writes to them, he says, I'm writing to you as a father. And there are four points that I really believe Paul was talking in this, in this passage. First one he talks about is producing. What are you producing? He says, I became, and some version says, I beget you as a father. I produced you as a child. What are we reproducing today? What are we producing today? What are the DNA and the values that you and I have that we are reproducing for the people around us, for the generations to come? Is it generosity? Is it kindness? Is it compassion? Is it doing good? Is it loving? What are we reproducing? I remember in, in my old church, um, one of the parents came up to me and says, Hey, why am my child so disinterested to come to church, huh? I said, can you do something about it? You're the youth pastor, right? Why don't you talk to my child and make sure that he's on about coming to church in a nutshell? At the time, I, had not so much, I didn't have as much wisdom as I have now. Not that I have a lot, but in jest, oh, well, not really in jest. Lah. I, I looked at the parents and I say that it's hard for a child to be very inspired to come to church when the parents are late and the parents are disinterested during worship. See, what are we reproducing? See, I love the fact that there are kids in worship in service. And these kids will grow up and some of them look like they're running around and not even <laughs> caring what's happening on stage. But I believe the, when they constantly see a community of people who go hungry for God together and when they lift up their hands and they worship God in a genuineness, I believe that they will model it. And this is what we are reproducing as a community. What are we reproducing? Number two, he writes to them in verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as beloved sons. He talks about the word beloved. The Greek word that he uses in that beloved is the idea of agape or agapaula, which is the verb of agape, which is the strongest kind of love. He says that I'm writing to you as one that I love, as a beloved. I'm writing this to you. Right? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, great, I want to be a spiritual father, great, I want to impact the next generation, but it comes from a posture of us where we love the people around us. I know that's a very cliched verse, it's super cliched, but it's something that's so true, so true to the point that Jesus in his last words in John 17 declares that this is something that you need to do as a community to love those around you. 
And it's something that's so important. And Paul writes to the church of Corinth. He says, I love you deeply. In 2 Corinthians 11, 11, he says, am I doing what I'm doing essentially because I love you not? God knows. Such an interesting verse, right? You read the full context, he's just sort of like, in slight sarcasm, he's telling, guys, I really, really love you. If like, you already doubt the fact that I love you, I'm telling you again, I really, really, really love you. I really do. God knows. I really do. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will gladly spend for you everything I have and expand myself, even to the point of death. If I love you more, will you love me? Right? The 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Do I have that? No. But that's 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Isn't that a great statement? He says, I'll spend everything I have. I will even spend myself for you. And that is love. Love that's so strong and so deep that is so far-reaching. How are you loving one another today? Third thing he talks about in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, I write these things not to shame you, but to admonish you, to change. Admonish isn't so much of shaming like, you know, lousy kid, bad boy. Hopeless. But the idea of admonishing is to train, to discipline until change happens, which means it requires patience. It's not so much of destroying a person, but to reclaim a person. Every person that I see today is not a person that I think is weak because we all are, but someone that can be strengthened because of the things I do that can impact that person's life. And similarly, there is someone in your community, in your, in your life group, in church or in your workplace that you know that you can encourage and to love to the point of change. See, it's saying, I see a sin, I see a weakness, and I correct it in love so that you might be changed. And it's not a punishment but is seeking a change in their behavior. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we don't really have time to go into it, but there's a story of this uh, prophet by the name of Eli. And in chapter 3, 2 and 3, it talks about his two sons who would sleep with women at the temple gates. And people would come up to Eli and say, oh, what just happened there? And Eli would be like, oh, really? Hmm. And he failed to admonish his children. Read that story, it's, a, it's quite a sad story. A loving person, a loving father does things to see a change in their behavior. He aims to reclaim them and not to destroy them. Example, fourth point, to set an example. He writes in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 4, he says this. Do I have that scripture, verse 16? He talks about how Brethren, beseech you, be followers of me. He tells them, look, follow me. I am an example. In another passage, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. There's this idea where Paul says, I'm setting an example to you. And I think it's so great that we can set an example for a future generation, but we can set an example for even the community around us. Now, I realize a lot of things that I emulate or I hope to do is it comes from a place where I see what my mom does. My mom would wake up 7 a.m. in the morning and she'll do her quiet time every day, 7 a.m. No matter what time she sleeps, I think she doesn't sleep at all. I think it's an old age thing, but she'll sleep at 12 or 1 and she'll wake up at 6, 30 and 7 and she'll be out in the kitchen top and she'll be doing her quiet time, her devotion every day. And I'm saying, God, I want to be that. I want to emulate that. And she's taught me to set, to be an example. 
And I love the fact that we are setting example for the things that are unseen because these, these are the things that people don't really talk about. It's the things that is in the hidden that displays what's really inside us. It's also amazing that in that scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, after he says this, follow me. And verse 17, he says, I'm going to send you Timothy. Think about this for a minute, right? He writes to them, he says, I'm writing you as a spiritual father, etc., etc. Then he says, follow me as I'm setting, giving you an example. And then the next verse, immediately at verse 17, he says, I'm going to send you my son, Timothy. It's such an interesting contrast when in verse 16 he says, follow me, but I'm sending you my son. Could it be that his son, Timothy, his spiritual son, has emulated his father, Paul, to the point that whatever Paul is doing now, Timothy does likewise. And he's confident enough to say, my son Timothy, he knows exactly my nature, he knows exactly what I'm going to do, he knows exactly what I'm thinking, I trust in him and I'm sending you, my son Timothy, to the church of Corinth. And it's such a spiritual truth that now he's saying, look, I have a son and I'm going to have grandchildren. It's an example for a future generation. And I really believe that it's something that you and I can step into and walk into. How are we leading our lives today that will impact a future generation? You know, over the years, I've been fathered by many, many people, and I don't think it's a banner of like only the older ones can, can father me, or only the older ones can set example for me, or only the older ones can impact me and the future generations. But I believe it's something that cuts across all ages. You know, I, I wrote a list of a few people that have impacted me, some who are older, some who are younger. For example, I remember uh, my senior pastor from my previous church, he would sit down with me every week and he would teach me go through the Bible study, how do you frame a message, how do you frame a passage, taught me how to expositorily break it down and all these different things. He taught me Greek, great teacher. I learned so much just sitting in his feet every week, we'll just have that time to just talk about the Bible. I remember Pastor Daniel when I was a struggling youth pastor and he would, I would like meet up for, with him at Gopi at Cornerstone and we'll be just talking about youth ministry and he would give me dreams like, oh my gosh, like, can you imagine a, a youth pastor network and we all come together and like, yeah, I want to do that also and it like, gave me courage. You know, I, I remember um, a particular uncle in my previous church. We used to make fun of this guy. Um, as a, as a, he used to teach me Sunday school at primary 5 and primary 6, and I used to make fun of him all the time because he's hilarious. Plus the fact that he took more than 10 times to pass his driving license that we all knew about. So we all used to laugh at him, like, wow, it takes so long to pass driver license. Wow, hopeless. Uh, ha, ha. You know? And we used to laugh at him. Uh. And then one fine day, he actually got his driver's license. I think I was about set 1 or set 2. Got his license, and the first thing he did was, of course, to buy a car. Bought a car. He didn't crash, lah. He bought a car, and at that, at that season, we were going to shift church. And so he said, yeah, I got a car already. I can you know, help shift all the, like, the stuff from, from church to the other location. So he drove his car, drove safe, but he drove his car. And straight away, um, at the time, cars were like 100 over 1,000 for a very basic, like, uh, more expensive than even now, right? And then he would load up the car with all the metal cabinets inside his car. Then one of the other adults in the church looked at him and says, hey, you're not worried that your, the thing, your car will be scratched, man, you know? You just bought your car. Then he looked at him and says, but this car, God give me one. You know, it's not as if, you know, it's something that I have. It's just a piece of machine. I'm just serving God with whatever God has given me with. And that memory has been etched in my mind. I'm like 13 years old and this uncle who took so long to pass his driver's license, who just bought a car after passing his license and say, hey, 
I just want to bless the church. I just want to bless the community. And it's just a piece of machine. I learned generosity. I mean, I've squeezed 12 people in my car before and it's totally fine. Do <laughs> you know that my suspensions of my previous car were so bad after I traded in the car? The guy said, what do you do with your suspension? I don't know. Youth ministry. <laughs> but I've also been fathered by very young people in, in this community. Right, I think about Titus, who's 16 years old, 15 years old, 15 and a half, who's always one of the first few that runs up to altar call. Sometimes I wonder whether he got a lot of problem or whether he's very hungry for God. <laughs> Could be either or. La. Could be either or. But, but I strongly believe because he's so hungry for the presence of God that he's always one of the first few that comes up to the altar because he's seeking the presence of God. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to be hungry for the presence of God always. Right, I sit now under the teaching of Andre, who about eight years ago, when I first met him, would come up, Pastor John, can I help you? Pastor John, can I help you carry your Bible? Pastor John, can I, uh, it's okay, I help you carry. Like, like, dude, how heavy is my phone? I help you carry your phone. And I'm sitting under the teaching, and I'm being fathered by his wisdom and his teaching. Axel was one of those kakias of Andre. A little bit less obedient, a little bit more playful. But this guy is like, like it's so funny, like he'll be one of those guys that you want to get, they have to carry tables. Hey, where's Axel? Ah? And he's, I don't know where he's like, you know, Tsao somewhere already. But this is a guy that I was so blessed by his teaching about storytelling, about how all of, and I was sitting under his teaching and says, I'm fathered by this man who just seven, eight years ago was like just this playful dude. I just wanted to run around in church. But I realized that I've been fathered by young people. I'm Jason Chua, for example, he's a few years younger than me, but he, I sit under his leadership. Oh, <laughs> I sit under his leadership. As, when I first knew him, he was one of those like uh, Bochap youth pastors that just wanted to chase after Constance. I got a lot of stories about them. It's true, it's true. I remember we were flying off to Melbourne. Then, then I have the mic. Huh? <laughs> Do it. Huh? I, I remember Christine, we were going to fly off to Melbourne one day, then Christine texted me and she says, oh no, no, texted, we were talking, and she says, hey, you better watch out for Jason and Constance, huh? they're very close. Huh? Then I didn't know the background, man. and she said, just make sure that you keep them, like make sure that they're not alone, always be with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the time, Jason tried to, tried to uh, court Constance, la. but at least he's successful. La. The first impression I had about this couple is they lose things very easily. They lost their Blackberry in uh, Melbourne. You remember or not? Constance lost it. Of course he did. <laughs> but this is a man today that is a prophetic voice, not just for burning hearts, but for the nation. No, and, and I'm, I'm sitting under his leadership today and I respect that. That this man who is younger than me that I used to have to chaperone, kind of, it's a man that I'm sitting under as a leader. And it doesn't matter how old or how young we are. 
but we can be a spiritual father or a spiritual mother for the generations to come so that we will impact this nation and this society and this 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, that people to, in that day will be talking about what happened then. That a group of people from the city church at 62 Cecil Street were so hungry for the presence of God that God decided to break in and revival broke out of this little room that 120 people who were seated in the upper room of level 6, 62 Cecil Street would break forth out of this room and will impact this nation. What if? What if? But we need to take our paradigm from our destiny, and I love destinies, but we need to take our paradigm away from what you and I can achieve in our lifetime by understanding that we are leaving a legacy for a future, for my children's children. Can I just get everyone to stand up this morning? Even this morning, even as we, we close today, I just sense that God wants us to start thinking about the legacy that we want to leave behind. The story that is forming in you and within you. Just even for the next 30 seconds, just begin to talk to God and ask God, what is the story that you're forming within me that will impact, that will leave behind a legacy? I want to challenge us as a community not to be myopic in our vision, but ask God for a greater vision. Holy Spirit, give us a vision. This morning, if you're going through challenges and circumstances in your life, can I elevate your faith and say that that story that you're being, that you're going through today will be a testimony for a future generation. And I just want to pray for those who are going through whatever challenges that you're going through. It could be a health issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be an emotional issue. It could be any of the above. It could be all of the above. But if today you know that you're going through a challenge and a struggle in your life and you need prayer, I just want wherever you are with every eyes closed to just raise up your hands and put it down really quickly. I just want to begin to pray for you. I see hands. Lord, we're asking for every hand that's raised up. Lord, whatever challenge that they're going through, whatever circumstances they're going through, it may seem like they're crossing the River Jordan with the river just high towering above them and they're just walking through it and it seems so hard to trust in you it seems so hard to see at the end of the river but Lord we're asking for such a faith to be given to them that they will walk through this river knowing that their hands their life are in your hands that God that at the end of that at the end of that river at the end of the challenge that you are creating a faith a strength in them to set up a memorial stone so that their story their testimony will be a milestone, a memorial for a future generation that is to come. And so Lord, today I'm just asking that you increase our faith, knowing God that you provide the strength and the grace for us to walk through. 
Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And God, we just ask that you just inject faith in our lives to know that our lives are in your hands.